Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is an RNZ podcast. Kia and a very warm welcome to Voices from Antarctica. I'm Alison Balance. In this podcast series, we're going to be visiting the coldest place on the planet, Antarctica. The coldest, the driest, the windiest, it's got a whole lot of records. We're starting by walking on water. This is the sound of me walking on sea ice at Cape Evans in the Ross Sea. In winter, the sea ice transforms the seas around Antarctica. 20 million square kilometres of ocean freezes. Well, at least the surface of it freezes. Let me give you a quick 360-degree tour of where I am. I am looking at Erebus with cirrus clouds streaming across its summit. If I go to the left, I can see the Barn Glacier pouring off Erebus. There's a vast expanse of white sea ice. There's a science field camp set up on the sea ice. We'll find out about that later. In the distance, the Transantarctic Mountains, the Royal Society Range, swivelling around on our 360-degree tour. There's some black, rocky islands... There's a little camp on a hillside with some tents nestled in the snow where we sleep and eat and drink and do all of those things. There's a cross on a hillside. And lastly, Scott's hut. In this series, we are going to find out what it takes to live in and do science in Antarctica. We're going to do that by meeting the locals. And some of the visitors. In Antarctica, Mother Nature still reigns supreme. You have your plan A and your plan B and you're even your plan C. Everything takes a little bit longer. It's also hugely rewarding. It's beautiful with the ice shelf in the background. I love the sounds they make. You have to navigate through these little cracks in between the big pressure ridges. Hopefully it's going to keep me warm tonight, sleeping out in uh, potentially minus 30 degree temperatures. First of all though, I have to get to Antarctica and this is mostly what episode one, Ice Flight, will be about. I'm going down with Antarctica New Zealand and I'm leaving from Christchurch, which is the gateway to Antarctica, for New Zealand's Scott Base and the American McMurdo Station. I'm due to fly south on a Wednesday, but before I even leave home, I get a text. Ice flight update. 
Afternoon, folks. Your southbound flight this week has been delayed 24 hours for runway maintenance. New departure date is Thursday. That's okay. I'll just go down to Christchurch as planned, and it will give me a chance to catch up with the sender of the text. Right, what do you want to know? A whole lot of things. First of all, I need to know how loudly you talk, so can you just tell me who you are and what you do? My name's Paul Woodgate, and I'm the logistics manager at Antarctica, New Zealand. My role is to look after the movement of passengers and cargo to and from Scott Base. So I'm going down to Antarctica. How am I going to get there? You, personally, are going south on a US Air Force um, C-17 jet. You're pretty lucky to get on one of those. It's just a five-hour flight. Fantastic. So that's the big plane that you see parked up in Christchurch during the summer? Yeah, that's the big grey one with the high tail. So the C-17 can take quite a bit of cargo, can't it? Yeah, it's a pretty impressive aircraft. It's about... The Americans still work in pounds, obviously, so usually for us it's 100,000 pounds of payload, which is, what, just over 40, 45 tonne. You can put a 20-foot shipping container in it, put a D8 bulldozer in it. Um, tomorrow we've got a cat excavator that's going to go south on it. So yeah, it's, it's sort of changed the way we do business. It's wide-bodied and it, it's quite impressive what it can carry. If we fill it with people, we can put about 100 and, 130 people on board it, but we're just coming off a a delay scenario now, so we haven't had a flight for for four or five days. Um, so we've got a few people backed up in Christchurch. So it's on its way to Antarctica today? Yep, we were lucky today. We've got three flights in the air at the moment. We've got one that's just left from here, an Italian Hercules that's um, just landed at Terranova Bay, and we've had a, a ski Hercules, the old orange tail with the skis on it. That's took off this morning, and that's heading to McMurdo as we speak. And the C-17 took off this morning at 11 o'clock as well, and... Um, that had about 90 people on it and some cargo, and um, yeah, that's due into there this afternoon around uh, around five o'clock. Due to maintenance problem with C17, your flight south now delayed another 24 hours to Friday. Okay, let's talk about clothes then and dressing for the cold. So first of all, can I get you to introduce yourself and say who you are and what you do? Oh, hi, I'm Lou, and I'm currently Logistics Coordinator and Clothing at Antarctic New Zealand. So I'm going to Antarctica, Lou, and you're going to give me some clothes. What have you got for me? Rightio. We have a wide range of clothing, and the clothing that we uh, give you, it's based on a layering system. Uh, you're understanding that uh, down in Antarctica, uh, your core is the most essential part of your body, and you've got to keep it. Uh, function correctly. So if you think about it as a, a cold winter day in Canterbury and you have a fire in the middle of your lounge, your next layer between that and outside is the jib board. Then you have the middle layer, which is your insulation, like bats. Then you have the outer cladding. And this is no different how um, the clothing layering works. Keep the core in the middle warm so it's functioning and you can move around comfortably and let the cold weather stay outside. So that's how I look at it. And we start off with what we call um, the icebreaker thermals and that's your long johns. Then you have your um, other garments which we get from Earth, Sea and Sky and you have a pair of fleece tracksuit pants and you have a fleece top and then we have the Primaloft jacket and it's a bit like a puffer jacket for the ski, you know, ski jacket type thing. Then we go to the, the soft shell, which is the next jacket up, which is a, like a windbreaker. It's, it's an outer jacket. And then you've got what I call the baby of all jackets. Our, it's our ECW jacket. It's rated to minus uh, 50 degrees. 
and there is 12 pockets in it. Gracious, so it's quite easy to lose things. Yes. So yes, the answer to that periods. is what? Pocket management. <laughs> Check every pocket when you return it. Um, and, and get into the habit of putting things in the same pocket all the time, I would think. Well, yeah. yeah it wouldn't be hard to lose stuff in there. Yeah. Hey, so that jacket alone has 12 pockets. Have you added yes. up how many you've Total. got all up? Um, well, no. No, that's a good point. <laughs> um, you've got about four just on the front of that, and then you've got pockets on the inside of that one. So it's fair to say there's probably yeah, at least another six on that another, one. Another couple on that one with the inside ones, and then on your fleece, then on your trousers you've got about four. So, so up in the high 20s yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, there's a lot of gear, a lot of gear to hide. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we go to our footwear. Currently we're using Sorel boots for our ECW boots. Now, I mentioned ECW, ECW a few times. extreme uh, cold weather. Yes, that's correct. And they are rated to a negative 100 Fahrenheit. Then you have our, our other boots, the Sorrells. They are the general run-of-the-mill boot. And then we have the fine range of the gloves. We give you a, a wide range of uh, you do, gloves. Do I add up my pairs? I've got eight pairs. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you've got the Kinkos, you've got the wind, uh, the windbreak ones, you've got the woolen gloves, you've got the polyprop, and you've got the ECW gloves at the back. Which I've heard referred to as nose wipers. <laughs> Correct. Um, I tell people, and it's through experience, that you, you learn very quickly to use one glove for your eyes and one for your nose. <laughs> so they got... Nice um, sheepskin on the back so that as yeah. your nose runs in the cold, which it often yep. does, and you can just wipe it. <laughs> yep. And generally the first breath that you take when you're down there, your eyes water as well, pretty much, I, I hear. <laughs> hey, how cold is it down there today? Um, I actually, I checked the phone this morning and it was only minus seven, I think. It's pretty balmy uh, it, It's week. gone really warm, which is unusual. And you've still got to dress appropriately for those conditions. Yeah, well, it's a great system. I'm looking forward to having it all on and... Feeling warm and snug as a bug. Well, yeah, when I'm down like there. The, the, the big thick ECW jacket. It's like putting a sleeping bag on. So, um, yeah, yeah. The idea is to keep the people comfortable and warm and safe. Bother. Where did I put my phone? No, not this pocket. This pocket. Ice flight no go today due to mechanical fault with the C17. We'll try again Saturday. This one was a uh, maintenance issue with the C-17, so we had a problem with uh, when we went to fuel it. So we had to get a, a specialist in from the States, uh, US Air Force maintenance personnel, had to fly over with his box of magic parts and, um, and service it. So that was a maintenance issue. What other kind of things hold you up? For us, mostly it's weather. I mean, for a lot of people that are travelling to Antarctica, they're very used to travelling, but that the Antarctic factor is something that they're not so familiar with. So for us, having delays in our flights is, is quite a common occurrence. In Antarctica, Mother Nature still reigns supreme, so in other parts of the world you can land in some pretty marginal conditions with um, avionics the way they are now, but in Antarctica we still maintain that we have to have visibility both of how, how high the ceiling is, the cloud ceiling, and how far we can see as far as distance. We've got certain minima that we apply and if that minima doesn't exist, then we just don't fly. First time is they get all excited about going to Antarctica and have a pretty sleepless night because, the, you know, the, it's been a lifelong dream to get to Antarctica and you always get pretty excited about going and to get a text message from me in the morning at, you know, sort of five o'clock saying, hey, it's off for 24 hours and we'll try again tomorrow. 
and you can get that, you know, that could be one day, two days, it could go out. I think the maximum we've had is around, uh, last year we had a 16-day delay. 16 days? Yeah, so, it was, so people were lined up here for, you know, for waiting to go for 16 days. That's quite a rarity of, of that long, but to have a one- or two-day delay is not uncommon for us. Well, I'm figuring I'll eventually get this. I've had your sequence of text messages, but so far today it's looking okay for tomorrow? Yeah, it is. This time tomorrow you'll be on, uh, so it's 10 to 2 now, so you'll be on final approach, um, heading into have one of those amazing experiences in Antarctica. Bugger. C-17 just failed pre-flight, so Saturday ice flight now cancelled. We will try same time Sunday. Sigh. The worst case scenario for us is that you take off from Christchurch and you, you become a member of what they call the Boomerang Club. So Tell you, me about the Boomerang Club. So you take off from here and the weather may change. A C-17 has got enough gas on board to go all the way to McMurdo and back without fueling. So we had a scenario a few weeks ago where the, where, where the individuals travelled and they'd gone five hours and they were right on top of the airfield just about to start descent and had to turn around due to a change in the conditions. Um, so that was five hours down there, five hours back. Yeah, we'll just try it again the next day. Um, with the Hercules, they don't have the same amount of fuel, so they have to make a call around 65 south. It's a, they call it the PSR, or the point of safe return. So they get to about 65 degrees latitude south, and then they'll decide whether to carry on or not. So if you're travelling on a Hercules, you sort of keep an eye on the window, and if the sun suddenly starts coming in from the opposite side, you know the damn aircraft's turn around and you're heading back to Christchurch, which is, yeah, it's, it's gutting. Scientist Vanessa Lucia had a memorable boomerang in the C-17 this season. At first I didn't actually take it seriously. I felt the turn in the plane and I thought it's a bit early to be reducing altitude and then they said that we'd be returning after a three-hour flight towards Antarctica because the toilet seemed to be malfunctioning. Yeah, it gave us a story to tell and we turned around the next day, so it was fine. Crikey, if it was not for bad news, I would have no news at all. Sorry. C-17 is hard broke and will be replaced by another aircraft ex-USA, but that takes time. We're now setting your departure for Tuesday. We'll keep you posted, but that's it for now. Where am I going to land? We used to um, have an airfield out on the annual sea ice, and we've now we've gone onto the permanent ice shelf. So we've got a, a ice runway facility, what's known as Phoenix, um, Phoenix Airfield and it's about 12 miles away from uh, Scott Base. When we used to use the sea ice, we could only operate between October and December on that ice. The one on the ice shelf means that we can now operate 12 months of the year, so we're now flying in the dark of winter with the aid of um, night vision goggles that the US Air Force have. Um, we can also, we've got the, the Kiwi Air Force, while the daylight's still with us in March and April, we, we can operate the Boeing 757 or the Hercules. So what used to be like a five-month uh, Antarctic program is now turning into a 12-month program. Sorry folks, problem with the replacement C-17 has delayed its Christchurch arrival, resulting in another 24-hour delay. We will reset for same time Wednesday. What? Oh dear. It's not going well, is it? That is possibly the understatement of the season so far. OK, while we wait... Let's do some science. Let's talk ice, specifically the sea ice, the frozen ocean that I was walking on back at the beginning. 
All sorts of folk in Antarctica are interested in sea ice for many reasons. Field trainer Steve Grieve, for instance, whose job is keeping people safe. What were you doing there, Steve? Just drilling some holes in the sea ice, uh, checking its thickness, and yeah, just making sure that it's safe to walk on for future travel. How thick was that hole? Well, we've got a pretty big variety there. We've got from about 1.4 metres, and then it goes to about 40 centimetres. So, got to be pretty careful uh, on that thin area there. Klaus Miners from Australian Antarctic Division has been researching sea ice for many years. So sea ice grows out in, in winter, so of July, August, and then it, it has a maximum in, at September and October of around 20 million square kilometers, which is doubling the size of Antarctica, and the sea ice area is almost three times the size of Australia, so it's massive, it's really vast. And then that sea ice melts back over summer, and we have a minimum in late February, and that's only around 4 million square kilometers. So 80% of the ice is melting back, and that is really a key driver in Antarctic marine ecosystems. So the ice has multiple functions. For example, it serves as a platform, breeding and resting platform for higher trophic animals, or, yeah, Seals rest on, on ice, penguins um, yeah, have their eggs on ice, emperor penguins. And also the ice is highly reflective, so it keeps the southern ocean cold. And it keeps it also dark, so it actually cuts off light, which is important for microscopic plant in the water column. But at the same time, it serves as a substrate for microalgae, which grow at the bottom of the ice. And they are adapted to relatively harsh conditions in the ice. It's relatively salty there. It's dark under the ice, but it's not as dark as in the water column below. And because um, these algae are adapted to these low light conditions, they grow very early in the season. So they grow before there's more plant food growing in the water column. And that is very important for the ecosystem because then, for example, Antarctic krill, which is a yeah, crustacean around the finger long, one gram heavy, and they, the juveniles, especially can't starve for long periods over winter, so they really need these ice algae. They come up from the water column and graze at the bottom of the ice. And here at Cape Evans, this is fast ice, so this is ice which is fastened to land, coastal ice. It's not moving like the pack ice offshore. And this year, actually, the ice broke out relatively late in winter and then regrew. And so normally the ice thickness where we are sitting is around um, 1.8 to 2 meters. And um, at the moment, we, this year it's only 1.3 meters because the ice formed relatively late in this particular year. Andrew Martin is with the University of Tasmania and he's the man to ask about the little brown stuff that lives on the bottom of the sea ice. It's like an upside-down garden. So as you observe Antarctica... It's white, it's barren, you might hear the odd skewer, you might see the odd seal, and so it looks, for all intents and purposes, quite lifeless. But that's only because we have this hidden ecosystem. So the microalgae that we study are like the grass of the sea, and we're actually standing on them right now. So rather than an above-ice 
ecosystem, the all-important base is actually right underneath us. What are those microbes that are living under the ice? There's a whole diversity. So we can talk about viruses, we can talk about bacteria, and we can talk about diatoms. Diatoms are particularly interesting to us because they are the organisms that are undergoing photosynthesis. So in the presence of sunlight, in the presence of um, CO2, in the presence of, of water, these are the organisms that are replicating themselves and we have the emergence of new organic matter. Photosynthesis is truly outstanding. And any given ecosystem needs a base, and that's what these microbes are providing. So in an Antarctic context, everybody loves penguins, everybody loves whales, everybody loves seals. But in terms of there being energy passing through sequentially through to more and more complex life forms, we must have a stable base. So a lot of our research focuses on thinking about the future of Antarctica, how will light change, temperature, salinity, carbonate chemistry, etc. What are the likely changes of the future and to what extent are the microbes that live in the sea ice resistant to those changes? Ice flight evening update. Okay, let's be positive. All is on track for your flight south tomorrow, Wednesday. Reporting time, 6.30. See you there in the morning. So good morning, Woody. Alison, how are you? Now, it's been a week. Yeah, it's just been one problem after another. Yeah, hopefully today is the day and we'll get you away. So from your point of view, from the logistics of getting people and gear to Antarctica, what does the delay of a week mean to you? If you think about our main operating season of going from October to February, that's about 22 weeks. And if you lose a week, especially if you're in a science project that's probably got three or four weeks on the ice in total, to lose a week, is, is, it's quite full on. The beauty of Antarctica is you've got 24 hours of daylight. So you can, when you get down there, you can, you can pull some pretty long days and long hours and um, sort of try and make that time up. But quite often the date that you're coming back to New Zealand is fixed due to the loadings on our aircraft. So if you lose time at the start of it, you're, you're usually in catch-up mode the whole time you're there. So how many people from Antarctica, New Zealand, are going down on the flight today and how many people in total? I think there's about 114 on this flight now, so we're pretty well maxed out with people on, on this aeroplane. Of those 114, there's 17 of them are uh, going to Scott Base, so they're our people. Yeah, the trouble with this, you, you fill the thing with people and then they get down there and, of course, the first thing they want to know is where, where their science cargo is, where's the stuff they need to do the job. And, of course, they've got people that have been um, sitting in Antarctica since last Friday that have been waiting to come out. So getting to Antarctica continues to be a case of hurry up and wait. We've had our briefing, we've been through security, just standard airport security, making sure you're not taking anything sharp or dangerous on the plane. And now we're standing around waiting for a bus, getting very excited now. I'm also getting very hot, wearing my boots that go down to something like minus 50, and since it's about 15 degrees or warmer in Christchurch, they're a little excessive. But for safety reasons, you have to wear all your extreme weather clothes so that when you step off the plane in Antarctica, you're well prepared. What else can I tell you? I can tell you that the New Zealanders all wear orange and the Americans all wear red. 
and there's a few blue people here and I don't know who the blue people are. So Antarctica is very tidily colour-coded. I'll fast forward through five hours on a very noisy plane. At least it's in the air and it hasn't boomeranged. And hoorah, here I am, finally, in Antarctica. It's very cold, it's very white, and now I'm waiting for the bus that will take me from the Phoenix runway out on the Ross Ice Shelf to Scott Base on Ross Island. Join me next time for part two of Voices from Antarctica, when the icy adventure will really begin. I'm Alison Balance, and this RNZ podcast was made possible by Antarctica New Zealand, who took me down to the frozen continent, and the scientists and Scott Bay staff who answered all my endless questions. Duncan Smith was the voice on the phone. Thanks heaps, everyone. You can find Voices from Antarctica on the RNZ Our Changing World podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts or check out the podcast page at rnz.co.nz. Catch you next time. Ki ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.